0: You're listening to T.I.P.
1: On today's show, I talk with Artem Milenchuk about investing in an alternative asset class that likely isn't top of mind for most people, farmland. Artem is the founder and CEO of Farm Together, a platform that makes investing in farmland easier and more accessible by the masses. He is also part of the Forbes Finance Council and holds an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. If you enjoyed this episode and the type of alternative assets we discuss in the episode today, you can check out more conversations similar to this one on the TIP Real Estate Investing Podcast. You can find the link to the podcast in the show notes below or by going to theinvestorspodcast.com real estate investing. That is theinvestorspodcast.com real estate investing. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Now, without further delay, let's dive into this thought-provoking conversation with Artem Milinchak.
0: You're listening to Millennial Investing by The Investor's Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation.
1: Hey everyone! Welcome to this week's episode of Millennial Investing. With me today, I have Artem Milenchuk. Welcome to the show, Artem.
2: Thank you, Robert. Good to be with you.
1: Let's start by talking about your background a bit. How'd you get to where you are today?
2: So, kind of going way back, now I was born and raised in Soviet Union. And one thing that we all had in common back in the days that everyone would get allocated this little patch of land. You know, it used to be called dacha sometimes, because it was this sort of you know, house there. And you would go there almost every summer to plant stuff, because at that point, Soviet Union was getting so poor that you only had the basics <laughs> in the grocery stores. And I like to joke that the United States won not because of its military might, but because of the full grocery shelves. <laughs> and so that kind of attachment to land very early on, working with my grandparents planting the staple potatoes planting you know, cucumbers, tomatoes, all that stuff, and then taking care of them for the summer, harvesting, which really gave me this very, very deep appreciation of the reality of the land and food and how nice it is to have something in deep real. And that was kind of the initial attraction to farming, to farmland, to food. And then growing up, I went into finance. I found it endlessly exciting and interesting investing in finance, how many lives it touches and done well and create tremendous wealth. Done poorly and create tremendous inequality or just tremendous suffering, frankly. And so, really, for me, marrying finance and food was sort of marrying my my two passions. And spent ten years investing in food and agriculture. It was so. I moved from Russia to Canada in two thousand seven. I did my MBA actually in in US in Morton and back to Canada. But the kind of career focus has always been on food and agriculture. And so it was. You know something that I think has been with me from from early on.
1: Yeah, it was interesting to hear how you were in the agricultural space first and then made the transition to finance. It's not one you necessarily hear a lot, but when we hear how you combine the two as we get through this episode, you'll hear how that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's really interesting.
2: Just to to clarify, there. So it was really you know working on my grandparents, my parents' patches of land, which was. My age was like six to twelve, <laughs> so it was really young. And straight after high school, I went into undergrad for finance, masters, and then started immediately my career in finance. But it's that sort of early exposure, attachment to land, that made me focus on food and agriculture being in the finance kind of role in the finance world already.
1: And you had a successful career in the finance world. So, what inspired you to become an entrepreneur and start Farm Together?
2: And you know, sometimes I ask the question myself: <laughs> Why not stay in the cushy finance job I had? I think it's really at the end of the day, it's what drives a lot of entrepreneurs—just a desire to build and to create something new. Finance, for you know, all its attractiveness, and then where it is is somewhat passive—you know, you give the capital to someone, and then you just hope that they do best with it. And I still really like investing. I think it's very intellectually stimulating. But I really wanted to build, and it was fortunate that as I was. Kind of going through the you know the ideas that were coming up in my head, this idea of, hey, how come there isn't a a farmland investment platform right it's such a huge market, such an attractive market, so much is happening. How come most people and most even institutions, most investment managers cannot invest into this huge asset class and so it it really just was this gaping hole that made no sense to the point that you know my level of conviction was so high that I had to do it, and even to this day, and sometimes you know we have days, bad days, one unwavering conviction I have is that it is just such an attractive investment that it's going to happen and we're making it happen. So I would say desire to build and just conviction that this must exist. So I'll kind of yank it out of non-existence into existence.
1: So did you feel like you knew that this idea was going to happen? Somebody was going to do it, and you had to be the one to do it. And I ask that because you hear that from entrepreneurs all the time is, oh my God, I had the idea for Uber 10 years ago or 20 years ago or you know, whatever the, the idea is, Facebook or you know, whatever the next tech startup is, people always say, I had that idea first. You know, so did you kind of have that same thought in the back of your mind? Was this is gonna be, you know, happening in the future and I want to be the one to bring it to fruition?
2: If you're in financing capital for a very short time, straight away you learn some very irrefutable laws how capital flows. And one of those is that capital investments always looking for attractive risk adjusted opportunities. And uh, farmland is very attractive. So Working for a big pension fund, I saw how we would invest into you know literally like crazy deep water mining stuff, into like literally space satellites that would go and repair other satellites, and what Elon Musk is doing now. We were looking at that ten years ago, and yet we were not looking literally under our feet. And so yes, it was very much like a, a hundred percent conviction. It's going to happen, and you know I don't want to like I'd like to be humble here. There's the space is, is big. It's, there's other players in it on the institutional side as well. I think what I thought I could bring that would be unique would be the sort of the tech enabled, kind of very, if you will, sort of tech driven approach to pharma and investing. And I saw a lot of opportunities to apply technology to kind of create an asset class for the future, kind of how Africa skipped landlines, went straight to cell phone lines. And so I felt compelled to not just, you know, start a farmland fund but really apply what was also rapidly emerging fintech, act tech, AI imaging to farmland investing and that's where I felt I had that unique sort of intersection of skills and interest. Do
1: you think your background in finance has really helped you build the type of platform that Farm Together is?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fifty percent ag farming, fifty percent fintech finance, and that's because you, on the one hand, you want to invest into great farmers, into great land, but you also then need to translate sort of that into what does it mean from an investment perspective? What does it mean in terms of risk, reward, you know, liquidity, other alternatives that people have, total portfolio management, meeting people's financial goals. So I think it's just as important to understand like what what does farmland mean. There's definitely So we have a lot of investors that just love that they get to own land, that they get to contribute to feeding the planet. But also a lot of investors that say, look, I couldn't care less. What I'm looking for is to meet my financial goals, right? Which is a very fair statement, right? Investors look to meet their financial goals oftentimes. And so you have to then say, okay, well, farmland in this regard is like real estate. It is like in some shape and form, like US treasuries. It is like bonds to some extent. Here's how, here's why, here's how to think about it. Because there is not right now a sort of universal set language and bucket for farmland that you have for stocks, bonds, real estate. And so definitely feel a strong need to also educate people on how to think about farmland as a financial, as an investment product as well.
1: So let's dive into what exactly is farmland investing? Because I think like a lot of people listening to the show, I've never heard of it or even really thought of it. You know, I've never really thought of investing in farmland. And I consider myself pretty well-versed on the various different types of investment asset classes there are. So tell us what exactly does it mean to be investing in farmland?
2: And Robert, I don't blame you. Even I kind of working, being exposed to every possible investment opportunity, you could see only discovered really you know, farmland a few years into my career. <laughs> so It is endlessly fascinating to this day, it blows my mind how the oldest, largest asset class literally under our feet, literally providing the most basic necessity, we need food and water to a certain extent, somehow feels more exotic than some latest cryptocurrency coin right? <laughs> and so what, what farmland investing is, is as follows. I was talking earlier about translating that in a language of other investment products. So you can think of farmland as close to being a real estate investment. One thing to know, farmland, about 48% of farmland in the United States is rented. So farmers rent land and rent out land. It's a very common practice. And it all happens typically between farmers and farmland owners. Another thing to know is that that almost 97 98% of farmland is owned by families, by individuals. So when we say it's a nascent, untapped asset class, what we mean is that it's really less than 2% owned by any kind of formalized investors. And so investing into farmland means that you buy a productive parcel farmland parcel it can be a tree nut orchard where you have the trees producing uh, you know the nuts or it can be let's say a cornfield that can grow different types of row crops and you as an investor you typically make your returns from renting out the land to the farmer and then through sort of eventual price appreciation that is driven by long-term trends in growing population and decreasing supply of farmland and that's really your return so it's kind of like a real estate type investment where you're leasing or renting out the land. Now, where the comparison breaks down a little bit is that you can also be making returns from revenue share, where you take a percentage of the harvest, a profit share, where you take a percentage of the profits, or even you can have the land being directly operated, where essentially you have farming companies that will operate the land for you, and they'll take performance fee, a management fee, but really you kind of have a lot of control over what's being farmed. And in fact, you know, what we're increasingly seeing is, is farming families looking to kind of get into that as well because they get to spread the asset base, the knowledge over a larger acreage versus then versus them kind of having to buy that land themselves, tying it up in what is a very liquid, sometimes kind of lower returning asset. And so you know we're seeing that happen as well. But just to recap, investing into farmland is buying a real asset that generates income through typically a rental model.
1: Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys,
0: about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, has built in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product, and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. Most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, my wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com. mi That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash M-I for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com M-I Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. lounge access, a free flight to a bucket list destination. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with
1: all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. Why might someone listening to the show today want to consider investing in farmland? And how does your company Farm Together allow individuals to invest in farmland?
2: So we have right now thousands of registered users. Large number of them are investors. And the main reasons that people have told us why they invest into farmland with us is typically several reasons. So one is they're looking for safety. Farmland has been a great preserve of capital historically. The Enquiry Farmland Index hasn't had a single negative year since we started monitoring it in 1992. So it's been incredibly resilient. And the trends for the growth in farmland prices are quite compelling. It's, once again, growing population, improving diet, and decreasing supply of farmland due to climate change, urbanization, and kind of disappearance of you know, tiny, small cities as well. So farmland has done really well as a, a means of preserving capital. It has done well in periods of inflation and in periods of recession. So if you want to do more than just preserve capital, you're looking for returns as well. Farmland can offer that too. Depending on the risk reward profile, whether using debt or not, different types of crops, you can be looking at returns as low as 5 6%, but really good high quality 5 6%, all the way up to 12 13 and even 15 and 20% plus in terms of returns. So the returns can also be quite compelling. And then lastly, what we hear from people as well, one of the main reasons they invest is Farmland is virtually uncorrelated or negatively correlated to most other asset classes. One example during Q4 2007 to Q4 2009, the NCRE farmland index. So the main farmland index only was up 23% while everything else was down 20, 30, 50%. So farmland definitely very resilient, kind of moves in its own trend, in its own direction. And if anything is quite counter cyclical. For example, in Q1 2020, actually had the first, the index had the first negative quarter in, in a long time. But when I say negative, it was down 0.1%. And part of that is book value appraisal that I think we'll see a rebound of that in Q2. You know, whereas everything else the stocks were down insane amounts, including real estate, which typically is considered to be you know recession resistant, real estate had the biggest drop. So, you know, we're not saying farmland is the best investment out there. What we're saying is that if you're building a diversified portfolio, a high-quality long-term portfolio, you should have farmland. You should have stocks, bonds, real estate, A little bit of gold, a little bit of Bitcoin, maybe, but you definitely should have farmland. It's such a fundamental nature of our reality, and I think it should be equally a fundamental building block of your portfolio.
1: How does your platform, Farm Together, make it possible for individuals to invest in farmland?
2: So, what we do is our investment team comes from institutions that have been investing in farmland and ag for many years. We bring that very kind of very deep institutional knowledge of analyzing farmland. So we do our sourcing, our analysis, our underwriting. We sift through hundreds of different deals, we choose only the best ones. We buy those those farms and we actually also find the managers or renters for them. So we don't only just source, but we manage them as well. It's really kind of maybe a comparison a little bit like Apple, where we do everything. And that's because we just feel very strongly about how what we want to invest into, who we want to work with. So a lot of control of our investments. And the way you can invest is you go to farmtogether.com. We frequently put out deals. You can read about each deal, each opportunity on the website, listen to the webinar, read educational materials. Everything is very simply laid out. We talk about what are the key risks to consider, what is the projected hold period, cash yields, what are the main assumptions and risks involved in this investment? We are looking to roll out secondary liquidity soon so that while most deals have seven, eight-year hold period, we'd like the option for people to be able to exit the deal sooner via secondary market. And we have a pilot of that uh, projected to come in September of this year. So is that. And really, it's honestly, you can invest sometimes in a matter of minutes. Everything can be signed electronically and your tax documents, your payouts, your updates, all will be provided via email, as well as through your personal portal on the website. And typically, we aim for semi-annual to annual updates. And as frequent as quarterly, it's also possible. So very, very user-friendly. Really, we're very proud of our tech team. You truly can become a farmer owner in a matter of minutes and start learning about the space and learning about the farmers. And hopefully, you know, we'll see you <laughs> coming back for more.
1: So it sounds like when you explain the platform to me, it sounds like one of those platforms that does other types of real estate. So it sounds very similar to what, say, maybe a fundrise or something along those lines, or even Roofstock or CrowdStreet, who we also had here on the podcast. So it sounds similar. It's just with a different asset class. Would you agree with that?
2: I would to a certain extent. I think where the comparison breaks down a little bit is that a lot of those companies, they typically have, third party sponsors, right? So a company or a group that is raising for a particular project, for a particular kind of investment. Whereas we are the ones who actually source and manage the investment. So there's no other parties involved. If a deal isn't doing well, you don't need to be we can't be pointing fingers at like, oh, it's this sponsor that hasn't done well. It's really another day on us to kind of manage it for you and deliver the returns. So that's where you have a bit more, I guess, accountability, a bit more control as well. But in terms of the, the vision, and the same mission of democratizing an asset class that previously was inaccessible to most people. Very proud and, and humbled to be in the company of, of the platforms you've described, no doubt.
1: What are some of the other or more traditional ways that people can invest in farmland that might have existed before your platform or even today?
2: Before us, there were two uh, and are two public REITs, public stocks that give you exposure to farmland. They're large. They typically are looking for a more passive type of return. And because of the size, as you go up in size and the the complexity, the returns tend to go a little bit lower. You also have to consider public listing fees that those companies have reporting fees and having no control over what amount of debt and other deals the company buys. So it's kind of, you know, you're buying into a portfolio and then you kind of hope that, you know, this portfolio will be managed well. And so, definitely, there's been volatility in uh, in some of those stocks that you wouldn't have sort of expected looking just at farmland. But still, kind of those companies, for example, in permanent crop space, have been around for many years and have done a tremendous job democratizing the asset class, telling the story. The more traditional ways for large investors have been investment funds, private funds. Those typically have limited diversification, except the largest ones. And the large ones, they minimum check sizes start from 10 to $100 million. So really hard to get into. So I, I would say that in terms of kind of the platforms that give you different opportunities, allow you that flexibility, low check sizes, you know, farm together is looking to become the go-to for those types of investors. But having said that, it is a big space. I'm sure that, you know, there'll be more players coming, <laughs> uh, which is always good. There's some other players out there, at the end of the day, you know, we're not trying to our goal is to deliver excellent returns to our investors, not to kind of beat someone else. It's a big space, it's a blue ocean, it's two point five trillion United States. So we you know, we just put our heads down, we try to get the best deals, manage them to the best of our abilities and deliver good returns. I don't really, you know, think about this or that competitor is doing for other players in the space. Of course we benchmark because we do want to be the best, but I guess, you know, my point is that most of our time is spent thinking about how to get the best deals, not who else is doing what.
1: You mentioned in the US, it's a $2 trillion market. Are there opportunities to invest in farmland outside of the US? And if so, are those more risky just given maybe the environment and maybe they're not as much run like a business or is it really just US focused?
2: US is in my view, the best geography just because of the tremendously solid rights of ownership, very large markets, and developed infrastructure, and some of the most innovative and productive farmers in the world. So there's a lot to like in the United States, and us focusing mainly on U.S. investors. It's easier to match U.S. farmers, U.S. farmland to U.S. dollars, U.S. capital, kind of keeping it domestic. Having said that, there's definitely, I think, case to be made. We're actually making it that investing in farmland should be at some point global where you want to have exposure to Canadian farmland, to maybe, you know, Australian farmland. And that's because there's just, you know, you need more and more food. Population is growing. You have different climates, different political regimes as well. You get like a trade war with China. So U.S. uh, suffers. So definitely see in the future a more global offering as well. But you know, just to reiterate, I think we'll be in US for quite a little while. And out of the 9 trillion global farmland market or so, US is 2.5 trillion, by far the largest.
1: So when you think of companies like, say, Beyond Meat, who are creating a meatless meat product, and just other advancements in technology that we're seeing across the world, do you see these advancements in technologies and new foods that are being created negatively impacting investing in farmland over the long term?
2: No, not really. I mean, I think certain parts of farmland will be repurposed. If we're eating less meat, you know, you need maybe less pasture land. But you still have this relentless growth in population and the diets keep improving. And when you think about a diet of someone who is living in an emerging market versus in the developed market, the gap is still very big. And then when you start thinking also about desire of people for organic food, which typically has lower yields, then the you know the advancement we're making in types of food and maybe shifting of diets from more meat to less meat play a role, of course. But the kind of the overarching trend is still too powerful for that to make truly a dent, a meaningful dent in the trends of farm on prices. But it's definitely something that when you start kind of diving deeper into segments, for example, on meat, if I'm not mistaken, they're pretty big on, on chickpeas, and so that market has been growing, right? So you could be positioned right investing into the chickpea farms do quite well. So I think. As with everything, you know, there's dislocations and pockets of the market will experience lower returns. You know, dairy has been struggling for, for a while now, for example. At the same time, almonds continue growing. So we we'll look for that. We we'll look at what are the segments, geographies, crops that have those tailwinds and which have headwinds. And you know, that's why, for example, as of right now, we're not in any any kind of pasture land and any, you know, meat you know, kind of market. So we don't do anything around, you know, animal husbandry and things like that. It's all focused on crop land, on on crops. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors.
0: Do you guys ever feel overwhelmed with all that's going on in the markets and feel like you just can't keep up with the day to day news headlines? Today's show sponsor, Yahoo Finance, is my go-to solution to keeping up with today's top news and stay informed with what is happening globally. With Yahoo Finance, I'm able to see the biggest trends and biggest movers in the stock market, what is happening with interest rates, major geopolitical events, and much more. If it wasn't for Yahoo Finance, I would have no idea that Tesla is laying off 10% of their staff or why iPhone shipments are down 9% year over year. Yahoo Finance also has a number of other cool features, including a tool that lets you link in all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Yahoo Finance is one of my favorite tools I use in my investing toolkit, and it's what I use each morning to kick off my day and stay in the loop with what's happening in the markets. Join more than 90 million monthly users today and get comprehensive financial news and analysis at yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Everything seems to be more expensive these days. I've noticed this at my own businesses that I've run. You'd be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mi. NetSuite.com slash mi. That's netsuite.com slash mi. All right, back to the show.
1: How does investing in farmland compare to traditional investment asset classes like say stocks, bonds, or even mutual funds?
2: You so you have lower correlation, as I mentioned, to most of the asset classes. You also have right now your it's a less developed infrastructure and kind of financial investment market in general. If investing stocks and bonds, you just have so many options to invest in so many different ways. In farmland, <laughs> it's really very few ways for now. And you also right now still have to have a pretty long time horizon of typically five to 10 years, because there isn't that much liquidity yet in farmland investments and investment products. It's something that we're actually working on and looking to change. But right now, you've got to take a longer term view on your investment
1: how does it fit into the universe outside of those traditional investment asset classes? How does it fit into the universe of other alternative asset classes like real estate, other real assets like gold? And how do you get someone interested in an asset class like farmland over say gold or Bitcoin or just high-flying tech stocks?
2: So it's actually, we we often call farmland like gold with a coupon or Bitcoin, (laughs) digital gold. Because it has very strong kind of intrinsic value and preservation of capital, especially in high inflation environments. And that's, that's actually has drawn quite a few of those, you know, gold Bitcoin type investors. Thinking about other alternative investments, we come back to solid good returns, especially of the long term and diversification, lack of correlation. So when you're you're thinking about your portfolio returns over 10, 20, 30 years, it seems very obvious that it's important to have some farmland in your portfolio alongside those high-tech stocks, real estate, and other asset classes. And then lastly, because farmland is as of yet unknown, untapped, uninvested by most people, that's where we think you can find the best investment opportunities because best investment opportunities are where no one's looking. So we do see opportunities for also quite, quite interesting returns in that 15, 20% plus range in farmland. You have to take on a bit more risk, but you're looking at compelling deals and oftentimes investments that once sort of done and developed can be yielding 10% cash flow for quite a bit of time. You know, we're talking 10, 20, 30 years. Some of those trees, you know, produce for longer than that. And so for people who are looking to sort of match the expenses with cash flow, that is something that you know is not that easy to find in the market, especially kind of uncorrelated to almost anything else.
1: Are you seeing any major professional money managers like hedge funds and endowment funds investing in the farmland space?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're seeing pension funds, everything, of everyone from Canadian pension funds to a place like Illinois. California pension funds, as well as a global investment funds, impact funds, foundations investing. Some of the you know notable names would be Green, would be Prudential, UBS, and more and more players are you know, entering the space. There's some well-known kind of billionaire names. There's a kind of widely known but unconfirmed <laughs> understanding that Bill Gates Foundation owns a lot of farmland. So yeah, definitely. It's an asset class that has attracted some of the you know best and brightest. I think Warren Buffett, one of his favorite investments are beyond. He invested into the farm that he loves talking about So Yeah, it's kind of exotic, but at the same time, it's not. And some of the, the best investors in the world are actively pouring capital into this asset class.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because it kind of is exotic, but it's also simple. You know, farmland. It's not crazy high flying tech company or a super difficult company to understand.
2: Yeah, or Bitcoin. Like, or Bitcoin right. Most people cannot explain how Bitcoin works. Exactly, right exactly,
1: exactly. So it's simple to understand, but it is kind of an exotic asset class, if you will. You mentioned some of the big names that may or may not be in this space, and I find that really interesting. But why don't you think more people are talking about investing in farmland? Do you think that that's going to change in the future?
2: Oh yeah, 100%. Already versus you know, when we started two years ago, it's changing meaningfully we've been the fortunate drive part of that conversation. I think what we are going to see after this crisis is that same as last time of 2008-9, that gave explosion to a lot of alternatives, it's going to be the same where everyone from 2009-10 to today, stocks generally would go up and up and up and you kind of, you just had to put your money SP S&P 500 and never worry about. It. And as things go, we had this big jolt and awakening and people realizing that, look, first of all stocks can easily lose 30 50% and if you it in the stock market you lose everything and then secondly even today we're talking to clients every day and some of them are saying you know this market is crazy it's overvalued we want to put it into something that is real and that will protect us against this relentless money printing so i think every time we go into kind of a crisis a recession a kind of a down market people remember that it's important to diversify that you can't have you know, just crazy growth every year in the S&P and stock markets. And so that, I think, will drive a lot of that conversation. Another part that I want to mention, though, is that something we're very passionate about is working to help farmland be part of the climate change solution. And the broad sort of movement there is called regenerative agriculture, which replenishes soil and has the potential to recapture carbon in the soil. And if you start kind of crunching the numbers, looking at it, agriculture could be not just carbon neutral, but carbon negative and becoming carbon sink, while also enriching the soil. So there's a lot of people a lot of organizations, U.N, leading you know them, looking into making soil also work for the climate change. And given how ESG impact investing is becoming more and more important, and it's going from you know, nice to have and what we call you know greenwashing to being something that is absolutely necessary. And required by a lot of investors. We see that adding a lot to the conversation as well, and farmland kind of becoming more and more known. And that's what we see firsthand with our investors. Well, some investors call us and they say, I only want to see a regenerative farm deal, a regenerative offering. Give that to me. So I think that will be, once we kind of back to talking about climate change, I think that'll be a big part of increasing interest in farmland as well.
1: How has COVID-19 impacted you and your business as an entrepreneur? And how has it impacted agriculture and just farmland investing in general?
2: COVID definitely was a big wake-up call to a lot of investors. And we had a big influx of investors looking to deploy the capital into safe and stable assets and protect themselves against what some see sort of inevitable inflation due to Fed printing. So overall, I think it's been kind of a big you know, a big positive for us in terms of influx of investors.
1: What long-term investment trends do you see emerging after COVID-19?
2: Oh, man. You know, <laughs> Obviously, remote working is going to be huge, I think. I think we're going to see a breakdown in globalization that started already before COVID. The tensions with China, I think, will just continue deepening. So more trends around localization, bringing manufacturing back to US. And then I think we'll continue seeing an increase in demand for regenerative, sustainable climate change isn't going away, as well as people's desire to eat healthier isn't going away. But beyond that, hard to tell. You know, We focus, <laughs> just keep our heads down, focus on farmland, so don't have a lot of thought beyond that.
1: In general, and you've alluded to it so far throughout the episode, but what makes farmland a historically stable investment? Why will it remain stable during and post-COVID-19?
2: The stability is a function of stability of any asset class, any investment is a function of its predictability, right? You get volatility when you don't know what the asset is actually worth. That's why you have Bitcoin and Tesla going, you know, all over the place, because you can draw widely different scenarios of what, you know, those investments actually mean. For farmland, you don't have that because you know exactly what it means. It can grow between this much, this much food in any given year. And you have a really good sense of that because it's a function of soil, climate, you know, fertilizers. You have a good sense of what the price of that food may be. You know, it might be a little higher, particularly a little lower. But overall, everything that farmland produces has been consumed for like literally thousands of years. We just had a walnut farm, and walnuts go back 7,000 years. <laughs> so it's not like there's a lot of uncertainty, as much uncertainty around farmland as a lot of other investments. And so because of that, that's why it's been less volatile. And has less risk, if you will. And then pre and post COVID nineteen, I think so. We've seen a small minus zero point one or something like that percent decrease in the farmland index. And I think after COVID, my sense is we're going to see continued increase in interest in farmland, which should lead to increases in pricing. But you know, once again, I want to caution that. A, this is just our view, and B, within farmland, you have different segments, different geographies. They don't all behave homogeneously. So you will have idiosyncratic movements for sure. But overall, I think COVID-19 will increase the interest in the safe asset class, as well as interest in kind of more local sources of food. So it'll, it'll play well for some of crops in the US. It might be a challenge for some other crops that are more export dependent. We'll look at that, we think about that. But I think overall, definitely increased interest in farmland for sure.
1: I know this conversation has been super interesting for me, and it really opened my eyes to an asset class that I had never considered before, and I don't think many other people have. So I think the audience is going to really enjoy this episode, and I think it's going to really open a lot of people's eyes to just how many different asset classes are becoming available, not only because of technology, but also because of entrepreneurs like yourself. So Artem, for those that want to connect with you further or learn more about investing with Farm Together, where should they
2: go? Thank you, Robert. And it was great to be on your podcast, farmtogether.com. We have tons of information there, uh, really working hard to make it accessible in different formats, easy to understand. And then, secondly, email us at info at farmtogether.com. We read every email. So don't worry, it's not going to go into some random inbox. It literally goes to me, it goes to our investment team, to our client teams. We'll make sure to reply, and yeah, it was it was great to be to be on the show, and hopefully we can do another one of those three six months or so.
1: And as always, I'll put links to Artem's website, platform, everything that he has going on, and just more information about farmland investing in the show notes. So if you guys want to go check that out, be sure to use the link in the show notes below. Artem, thanks so much for joining me.
2: Thank you so much, Robert.
1: All right, guys, that's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week.